as you know, this is the Monday Lunch Bible Study. We're studying the, the book, The Red Sea Rules, which you can see up on the screen. And uh, I think we still have a few books up there at the table. There's one left. If uh, somebody hadn't gotten a book yet, we still have one. And uh, I'll try to bring some more next week uh, uh, for you as well. Uh, and so this is a, a great book. As you, if you've looked through it, you can see uh, it's the concept, the rules are ten principles uh, based on Israel's experience at the Red Sea. And in uh, Exodus chapter 14, Israel found itself trapped at the Red Sea. In front of it was the Red Sea, and behind them is the Egyptian army wanting to kill them or capture them, bring them back into slavery. And so uh, they looked and said, what the heck is going on? Uh, and so... Uh, what happens when you have an unsolvable problem, a crisis situation like that? Uh, and uh, one of the things, the, the third principle is about spiritual warfare. And uh, spiritual warfare is just a really interesting thing to think about, to ponder, to study, uh, because most people are not even aware of it, and it's really a totally different realm of consciousness. Uh, but the wars that are going on now on planet Earth are really a reflection of, of that war, and they make absolutely no sense, and I think our comedian today does a good job of, of bringing that out. If you think about it, it is, it's, and he makes light of it, it's just absolutely nuts. You know, when, when you had uh, World War One, I, I remember it was supposed to be the war to end all wars, you know, if you've watched any of the, uh, any of the uh, you know, TV shows, history shows about it, or read any of the books. You know, oh, they killed more people than they've ever been killed, and the destruction was incredible. They destroyed the, the mainland of Europe. It will never, it, it can't ever possibly happen again. You know, the war to end our world. And then a little bit over 20 years later, they had a bigger war with the same people. It's insanity. It makes no sense whatsoever. And, and that's exactly... Uh, all the wars, if you study them, none of them make any sense. It's almost as if there's some force behind it that's causing it all these eruptions to go on for the last 5,000 years of recorded history. There has always been war uh, going on someplace on planet Earth, if not everywhere, every place. And it's absolutely nuts. And one of, one of the characteristics of the thing is they never make any sense whatsoever. I mean, think about it. Uh, if somebody told you in the year 2000, any time before that, we're going to be at war with Afghanistan for 19 years, you, you just said, what? Number one, what is there to fight over? Rocks? Yeah. I mean, that's all they got there. And number two, how could it possibly take us 19 years to defeat Afghanistan? <laughs> Are you kidding? So, I mean, it's just nuts. And, and you think about the, the war today that, that's going on, and, and you look at, you know, uh, Syria, the country of Syria. You know, they had a civil war going on for six years. And it, somehow it's ended up uh, involving almost all the countries in the world. I mean, I read somewhere we got, there's 20 different uh, countries that have troops there. In Syria, 
I mean, and think of how tense everything is. You've got the United States with forces and Russia with forces and Turkey and all the Arab nations and Israel's right there on the border. I mean, it, it could just blow up and, the whole, you know, who knows what horrible thing. And think how many millions of people have been killed and displaced. And for what? Syria has got nothing. They don't have hardly any natural resources to fight over. The people there, the economy, they don't have a small population. The, the economy is terrible. There's absolutely no reason for this to be happening. And that's exactly the point. There's something behind this that's causing all this mess and all these eruptions that are happening all over the world. I mean, North Korea, are you kidding me? Give me a break. They, could, they cause so much trouble. What, what, is the, what are they doing? I mean, if a guy had any sense at all, he'd just say, just give me $30 billion a year and I won't bother you. And we'd write him a check. <laughs> but he won't take it. He wants to shoot missiles you know, over Japan and everything. It's insanity. Exactly. It makes no sense. On a physical, worldly level, and it's just absolutely illogical. And yet, the Bible has the answers. There's something behind this, the curtain, some force, a, a cosmic struggle that's going on that's causing all this stuff to erupt. You know, and just a you know a disclaimer before we get started. You know, because we're going to talk a little bit about Satan and demons and all this stuff. Well. Uh, we're not going to walk out of here thinking, okay, I'm going to look for a demon behind every rock, or, you know, if I get the flu today because some demon gave it to me. I'm not, that's not what this is about. This is a, a, a bigger battle that's going on between Satan, the adversary of God, and God, see? And the world that we live in is like the stage in which it's being played out. Uh, but it's in the spiritual realm that it's being played out, but the, the physical, worldly realm, material realm that we live in is also uh, uh, part of this spiritual warfare. Uh, and in Exodus 14, if you have your Bible or your electronic device, uh, you'll see uh, what's going on in verse 5 through 9. We read, when the king of Egypt, you know, Israel had left, you know, the, the miracles that God did, the plagues that he did against Egypt, so they let him go. So Pharaoh's come to his senses and let Israel go. Israel's out there wandering around. And, and the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled and they were wandering around. Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart. They said, well, We've kind of gotten over all these plagues that we've had, the ten plagues that have totally destroyed the whole country. Is that it? Or was there some force behind Pharaoh coming out? Because it made no sense for him to come out. He'd already figured out the letting go was a better deal. But he has a change of heart. And he says, what, have I, what was I thinking? Why did I, why did I let him go? We've let Israel go from serving us our 
free labor force is gone. So he made his chariot ready and took the people with him, the army with him, and he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt and officers with him. So it's awesome chariots, you know, iron chariots with the wheels that have the big blades on them that grind people up. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. And the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots and the horsemen and the army, and they trapped them there at those places, there at the Red Sea. Naturally, when the, you can read the, uh, verse 10 and 11, when the people realized they were trapped and they were getting ready to be wiped out, they were not happy. And so they go to Pharaoh and they go, look what you've done. You've brought us out here to die. Well, there are no graves in Egypt and they're all upset and everything. And we see in verse 14, in 13 and 14, Moses says, hey, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. And so God, uh, in, a, in this battle, you have God in the spiritual realm, but also active in the physical realm to help Israel against Pharaoh, who is actually uh, the devil in disguise in a sense. Uh, Pharaoh uh, and all the great world rulers and, and great conquerors like him, all the overly ambitious uh, killers and, and tyrants that have existed and still exist, uh, Satan is behind all those guys, right? And he is moving them. He is a force behind them to do all the crazy stuff that they do, just like Pharaoh's doing right here. Makes no sense for him to go out there and get Egypt after he's already let him go, and Egypt's been totally destroyed. But there is a spiritual realm, there is a force behind him going out. But God is with Israel. God is with his people and going to fight for them. And so uh, the, the Red Sea rule number three that we're studying today, you know there's ten of them and this is the third one, acknowledge your enemy. Realize that there's something bigger going on. There's forces behind the scenes in the spiritual realm. Acknowledge your enemy. Know that, there's, that you have a spiritual enemy out there, but keep your eyes on the Lord. But know that God is with you, and greater is him who is with you and in you than those who are in the world, Satan. Uh, so uh, all through the Bible we see, uh, if you'll... Uh, if we could look at 1 Peter 5, 8, the, a couple of scriptures. Uh, Peter, in his epistle, writes, Be of sober spirit. In other words, be aware, be conscious, uh, conscious, be on the alert, because you have an adversary, a big-time big adversary in the spiritual realm, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, great imagery. Uh, of a roaring lion and what? Seeking to someone to devour. So be careful, be aware of this, be on your guard, be alert uh, for this. And know that there is a spiritual warfare going on uh, and you and I are a part of it. All right. Also, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 
Are we going to be able to recognize these guys? Because I think it will be real clear to me because the devil will appear with a guy, you know, red guy with horns and a pitchfork. No? He says, no wonder they don't recognize these bad guys in Corinth. He says, no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So he's going to be very appealing and and people are going to like this false message that he gives. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. So those guys on TV, you know, they want you to send them money, those televangelist guys, they sound great. They got a great message. You know, God wants you to be rich and wealthy and healthy. It's going to be great. Right? Uh, and they have great hairdos. <laughs> I mean, I just wish I could get one of those bouffant things that those guys, and they, you know, their clothes are great. Uh, they look great, and they're like <laughs> a wolf in sheep's clothing. <laughs> right? That's exactly the point. Uh, but they are, but the. The uh, demonic forces, the forces of Satan, are active in the world in, uh, behind the scenes. Things bigger than us are going on, and we need to be aware of that. So Red Sea World, we're aware of it. We know that something big's going on, but we keep our eyes focused on the Lord. That's why Moses said, okay, I see him too. I see uh, the Pharaoh's army coming up, but look. You focus on what God's going to do. Watch this. And of course, you know the miracle that God does, parts of the Red Sea that walk across on dry land, and God, and God destroys the Egyptian army. So the battle is Lord's. Uh, this, and, and I've got a little kind of an outline there for you about this cosmic struggle. Uh, first of all, but the evidences of it, I mean, are just everywhere. I, I talked about it. All the wars for 5,000 years, there's never been a time without war. And why? Half the time, there's absolutely no reason whatsoever. I remember being high school students studying World War I, and they said the cause of World War I was Archduke Francis Ferdinand was shot in Bosnia-Herzegovina. And I went, What? <laughs> Germany attacked Belgium and France and England because some guy down there in the Balkans that nobody's ever heard of was shot. That makes no sense whatsoever. And that's exactly the point. None of it makes any sense. And whenever you see stuff like that, know that the adversary of God has just caused all this stuff to erupt all the time. So the evidence of it, all the, and in, in your relationships, the things that people do. If you're like me, you go, did he or she just say that? Did that just happen? What are they thinking, you know? Uh, damaged relationships, all the, you know, all the time you have to deal with that. There's eruptions everywhere. Lives are shattered all over the world. Uh, people have to deal with depression and suicide, divorce, crime, and then, and, you know, violent crimes, you've got all kinds of assaults and rapes and abuse of every kind. And it's always been that way. And it just is as bad as ever now. Uh, the immorality 
that people are involved in, the sexual immorality, uh, all the addictive behavior that we have today, the greed, the lust uh, th that people have, it's just overwhelming. Even to a perversion, you go, they did what? They do what? It's just stuff you can't even imagine that's so perverse that, that people do out there. Just unnatural acts. Where does this come from? Uh, they abuse every natural function. And then, of course, all the death that's occurring, it just, just blows your mind, you know, all the people that, uh, you know, succumb to all this bad stuff that's going on. Why? So the evidence is, is out there that there's a battle going on, whether we're in it or not. And also, uh, secondly, the, the principle, what is this principle of spiritual warfare? That everything visible and physical is the result of something invisible and spiritual. That's what we're talking about here. Everything that you can see and everything that's physical and visible is a result of something invisible and spiritual behind it. And only by addressing the invisible and spiritual can we fix the visible and physical. So only by coming to Christ and having Him as your Savior and God in uh, dwelling you with His Holy Spirit is there an answer for this problem, right? What we detect with our senses is merely the outworking on earth of the unseen spiritual activity and conflict. And we're on one side or the other. A lot of people would think, well, I'm not even involved in that. Well, I'm, you know, I'm kind of a, on the fence. I'm neutral. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, if you're not for me and with me, you're against me. He left no room for the neutral ground. You're on one side or the other, whether you know it or not. Uh, and that's the spiritual warfare. And then thirdly, spiritual warfare is that conflict being waged in the invisible realm that is being revealed in the physical realm. It's a battle of angelic warfare, which affects us as well. Our real battle is against spiritual forces. We think it's against these people that are, you know, trying to cause all the trouble. And you're going, what is wrong with those guys? Why all those people in Syria are so crazy that we've got to send troops over there or Afghanistan or wherever. But our real battle is against spiritual forces of wickedness in the spiritual realm. Uh, and who is that exactly? Well, uh, the, the Bible uh, calls him Satan. And the word Satan is a, is a great title for him because in the Greek and his name in the Hebrew as well, Satan means adversary. So this is the adversary of God. So the adversary of God and his fallen angels are against God and his heavenly host. And the ultimate question that is going to be settled and what this is all about, who has the right to rule? Who has the right to rule? And so in this battle, uh, eventually God is going to let it play out, but obviously it's going to be proven that only the one true God only has the right to rule. And all of creation will know that when this is finally 
over. All right? So spiritual warfare. Uh, let's go to, if you can hold your finger there and go to the prophet Isaiah, or you can look up here on the screen with, with us. Uh, in Isaiah 14, uh, several of the prophets did this. And Isaiah did it well. Ezekiel did it well. And basically what he does is, and this, this is very telling, he starts out talking about a judgment against the king of Babylon, the evil tyrant, the evil conqueror from Babylon. And he talks about this king and, and how he will be judged by God and his doom. Then all of a sudden, he morphs into who is behind the king of Babylon and how he fell from heaven, which, of course, is Lucifer. Uh, and so in verse 12, he, he starts talking uh, not about the king of Babylon anymore, but about the, the adversary of God who is behind the king of Babylon. Are you with me? Somebody said, yeah, I got at least one guy to say, yeah, but I, go, I, I don't know. <laughs> this is pretty wild stuff. So we read, Oh, how you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning. Literally, Lucifer, bright shining star. Son of the dawn, you have been cut down to the earth. So he rose, he, uh, uh, he tried to take over, and God threw him out. You who have weakened the nations. So you're involved on planet earth trying to weaken the nations. But you said in your heart, here's his great sin, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I'll take over and run everything and be the king. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the place of God in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself out like the most God, most high God. He wanted to be God. He wanted to take over. But what's his, what's his future? Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, earth, the grave, to the recesses of the pit that God has prepared for you. And those who see you will gaze at you, and they will ponder over you, saying, This is the guy that everybody was afraid of, that made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms. Uh, and so uh, the Bible is telling us, Isaiah is saying, that behind the evil king of Babylon is this spiritual warfare that's being waged by Lucifer against the one true God. Um, Ezekiel talks about it as well. And he's talking, he starts out talking about the king of Tyre, the Phoenician king, and how evil he is. And he morphs, he morphs into talking about Satan. So he says, you were the anointed cherub. A cherub is a, one of the head archangels uh, in the presence of God. You, you were, you started out, so he is a created being, a created being, like you and I, but a created spiritual being. And in the beginning, when God created him, it was to be one of the high archangels in front of the throne of God. God placed him there, gave him his job. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire, all the glory. You were blameless in your ways. So in the beginning, you were created perfectly. And from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you, until you had this great ambition to take over. 
And by the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence. And you sinned, therefore I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. So I've thrown you out of heaven. He's fallen, see? And in Revelation, Revelation 12, we see that when he fell, he also took a third of the heavenly host with him. So a third of the angels fell with him. So the, the, uh, on the other side of the battle from us, in the angelic realm, is Satan, or Lucifer, and the uh, fallen angels with him. So when you, when you think of uh, the term demons, that's, that's what they are. It's just fallen angels that are, that are with him. They're all cast into earth, and they are uh, active on planet earth today. Uh, the good news is they're, they're created beings, so they're not omnipresent. They're like, Satan's not everywhere. You know, people say, Satan made me do it. Yeah, I've got it. Um, he can only be in one place at one time, right? Uh, I think he's in Syria myself. I mean, I look at the worst places in the world, you know, and that's where I think he is. Uh, but you, you can have your guess along with it. But uh, he has his minions, his demons, uh, all over the world creating problems wherever they are. Okay? Um, and it has always been like, you might say, uh, a great chess match, a cosmic chess match between Satan and God. So in the very beginning, you have the fall of Satan before the earth was created, and then God countered with a perfect creation in Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and then Satan countered by tempting them in the garden, and then God created a redemptive redemption program, forgiveness through blood sacrifice, then Satan influenced Cain to kill Abel, then God countered with the godly line of Seth, and then in Genesis 6, God the counter move led the entire world in rebellion, and then God countered with the flood. Satan countered with Nimrod after the flood, who built the, the pagan idol worship in Babylon. Uh, God countered by dividing them into different tribes and languages. And then Satan countered with slavery in Egypt. You get the picture? Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could sit up here all day and go through this. <laughs> A great cosmic chess match, you might say, uh, all through history. And, of course, um, what, do, what do critics say? What do the critics say? Oh, come on, man. You don't believe that, do you? I only believe in what I can see. Then I'm asking them to ask, answer the questions. Why are there always wars that seem to erupt and make no sense? They'll never be able to explain that one to you. Why can't we put an end to the drug trade? Have you noticed that? They started, I remember back, uh, all the way back with the Reagans, and Nancy said, just say no. <laughs> Unfortunately, a whole lot of people said yes. And we have an incredible, uh, just a, the drug usage, the demand in this country has been like, you know, you're looking at a chart has been just like that. I looked up the, uh, the, uh, the budget because what, what did the critics say? Oh, that's okay. We'll solve that problem. Every president says they got a plan to solve it, right? So everyone was going to fix it. 
And right now, I looked, the budget for the Homeland Security, two, two forces we've got at war on the drug trade, the Homeland Security and the Justice Department. The budget for the Homeland Security is $51 billion. And the budget for the Justice Department is $29 billion. So we spend $80 billion a year fighting the drug trade. And what have we got? More drugs. And we're mad at Mexico, but we're the ones that have really created the demand that's caused all these drug cartels and everything to take over the country of Mexico. It's insane. How do, how do you explain that? What about pornography? We know it's self-destructive. Everybody knows they shouldn't be doing it, but more and more people do it to a greater extent. It's just crazy. Child abuse, you could go on all day. None of it makes sense. We know it's self-destructive behavior, and the world still does it. They expand on it. And all these humanist, humanistic answers to it, we're going to pass some legislation. I passed five bills against it during my first term. Education, people need to be educated on this. Uh, technology, we'll, we'll work with technology, social programs. That's all good, we ought to do it, but you know what that really is? It's just rearranging the chairs on the Titanic. That's all it is. You're not solving anything because it's a spiritual war. And until you solve that problem, all these problems aren't going away. They seem to be getting worse and worse and worse. And so the Red Sea rules uh, says, acknowledge, know that this is the facts, that this is going on. Acknowledge your enemy. Uh, the relentless enemy is always attacking, always coming after you, always pursuing. They never give up. They know they just have so much time before God comes, Christ comes back and ends their chance to stop this. Um, so we see the great tyrant like Pharaoh and all the other tyrants that came with him. Uh, my, my favorite is uh, Alexander the Great. You ever studied this guy? We got him somewhere. Yeah, there he is. Uh, from a young age, you know, he just had this incredible desire to conquer the whole world. And his uh, driving force behind him, he said, and the purpose of life, he said, is glory. Glory. That's all he could think of. Every time you win a battle, you get all this glory, and people sing your praises in your name, and they talk about you, and you get all this glory. And he won every battle he ever fought, and he conquered the whole known world, all the way, uh, Greece and uh, modern-day Turkey and all the Middle East and Northern Africa. Then he went over all the way to India. And all of a sudden, he said, he was weeping. And his friend says, what's, what's, what's wrong? Who could be more successful than you? And he said, there are no more worlds to conquer. Yeah, right. No more people to slaughter. And guess what happened? How did, how did it go for him? He 
died when he's 33 years old from a hangover. <laughs> alcohol poisoning. He died at the age of 33 from alcohol poisoning. For what? Sorry, pal. <laughs> there was no fulfillment in what you were doing. So, uh, we see in, the, in today's story in Exodus, you know, Pharaoh is the same type of a guy. He wants to take over the world. And he thinks he has the right to enslave people. And he says, summon the officers, wake the troops, harness the chariots. Our, our question, it, you may be thinking this, I wonder what part of my circumstances, all the stuff that's going on, the things that have happened to me, I wonder what part of these troubles are caused, orchestrated by spiritual forces. Well, I think Ephesians 6, 12, we're going to look at that in a minute, but it says it well. He says, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. You think it is. It's those people that are blocking your way, that are causing you a problem. But he says, no, no, that's just, it seems that way, but it's not. Our struggle is not against the people that you can see, the blood and the flesh of people you can see, flesh and blood. Our struggle is against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's the real struggle. And so that's behind everything that's bad that's going on. What are the, what's the weapons that they have, the people that are against us? Uh, two big ones. Number one, is all the worldly pressure. The peer pressure in the world is incredible. You ever notice that? You know, all your life, your parents, your coaches, your teachers have been pressing you to win at all costs. That's the only thing that's important. Always win, right? The competition, and of course competition can be a very good thing, but the, but the way the world uh, sees it, uh, it's, it's insane. Because they say that is the point of life, right? All the lies of the world. And then you get all the other lies like, if it feels good, do it. Right? And uh, the ends justify the means. Just get it done. I don't care how you do it. That's the message I've gotten my whole life. And I think it's everybody's message they get in the world. So that's one force. Uh, the second one is the lust, the fleshly desires that are within us. Whether you're talking about, you know, when I'm hungry, I want something to eat. And when I'm thirsty, I want a lot to drink. And one drink is never enough. And if three is that good, what would five do for me? Right? Uh, and, of course, in a sexual sense, when I desire that, I must have that. And so the human race is obsessed with sex. I mean, all the commercials you see have something to do with that. So the fleshly lusts and desires and the ambitions and the greed, you know, you want more. These are the weapons that the other side has against us. And they are unyielding enemies. They never give up. And they, what's weird and wild is they never seem to realize uh, their ultimate fate. I was watching this World War II uh, bio of Hitler, 
And to the very end, he thought he was going to win. He was fighting till the very last day. You know, the very last day, he said, he was calling around, have you got that atomic bomb ready yet? Because they were working on one. Have you got those secret weapons, you know, the jet planes, and you got to, you know, to the very end, he thought he was going to win. And so a comedian said, the whole world was closing in on him from every side. And he still thought he was going to win. Well, how did he end up? I forgot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do, do you know how it, where, where he ended up? They, they uh, poisoned him. He poisoned himself and then shot himself and then had instructions to be taken up and put in the street. They laid him in the gutter and poured gasoline all over him and set him on fire. So how did he end up? Roadkill. <laughs> the most ambitious man in the world wanted to dominate the whole world ends up roadkill. I mean, and think of all the other guys. Napoleon ends up you know, some diseased old man on some deserted island someplace. I mean, it's crazy. But that's the spiritual warfare. They never quit. Uh, and in biblical descriptions of uh, Satan, they use all these metaphors throughout the Bible. Uh, five, five different animals, at least. In Genesis 3, he's the serpent. In Matthew 13, uh, Jesus' parable, he's the bird that eats up the seed, you know, the seed's the word of God, and somehow it gets devoured up. Uh, John 10, he's a wolf attacking God's flock of sheep. In 1 Peter 5, we read, he's a lion trying to devour God's children. Revelation 12, he's a dragon. This is a bad guy. See? We need to stay away from this guy and keep our focus on the Lord. And the good news for us, uh, if we keep our, if our focus, our attention is on Christ, our sins are forgiven. We've got it made. We just have to stay in tune with him. Um, and Jesus will fight for us. Uh, we'll still have chariots coming after us, like Israel did. Pharaoh's still going to be coming, but God is going to fight for you just like he does here. Uh, and I think uh, he had the passage up earlier, a great passage to always remember when you get in trouble. John, 1 John, 1, 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in you, the Spirit of God, than he who is in the world, Satan. So the guy on your side is much stronger than the other guy. And you need to realize that and always have faith in him, especially when you're in a crisis situation when you're cornered like Israel was. All right? Um, and so when we choose character over convenience, faithfulness over what's easy, honesty over deceit, then we bring honor to the Lord. That's our part in this battle, is to glorify Him, to bring honor to Him. See? Just like all through the Bible, you have passages uh, like this. Uh, James 4, 7 and 8. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Instead, draw near to God. 1 Peter 5, 9. Resist him, the devil, and be steadfast in your faith in the Lord. 
See, that's our job. And when we do that, we bring glory to God. And we make God happy. We make God look good. Right? Think of Paul's life, his ministry. Uh, you know, he was always running into this. And he always knew who was behind it. Uh, and he wrote Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.26, that all these people that were against them were caught in the snare of the devil. And he said, what's wrong with this world uh, that's persecuting us is that it is run by the adversary of God. God has allowed Satan a certain amount of power in this world. And uh, he is on the side of all the people that reject Christ. Right? Um, and I could go on and on and all through Paul's ministry. Uh, we don't have the time. But Paul acknowledged the devil, saw his schemes at work, knew there was a battle behind the scenes, but he focused on Jesus and stepped out in faith. And he talked about this all through the books that he wrote. And I think the, the, the really clearest and greatest passage is Ephesians 6, uh, verse 10 and following. And I think we've got uh, that up here. And what he did was he gave you, uh, Paul, in Ephesians 6, your defenses uh, and your uh, offenses, mostly their defenses though, against the adversary of God, against the spiritual forces that are working against you. So God has equipped us to fight this battle. So he says, um, gird your loins with truth. I love that, that image of girding your loins. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done that. <laughs> but the Roman soldier, we got a picture of Roman soldiers. We just happen to have one. Uh, these are uh, kind of how they would dress before battle. And uh, they would wear robes like this. And they uh, would be made so you could pull them up and wrap them around your waist and around your crops to protect your private areas. Because the quickest way to lose a fight is to be kicked in the private areas. So they were very careful and protective of those, right? Uh, and so you see him doing that. Now his legs are all freed up to run, and he's protected. So uh, he's ready to go, right? Uh, do we have a soldier? Yeah. So he's going to give a description of the armor of God and the weapons of God by using some, something that they saw every day of their life. Everybody in the Roman world saw these guys all the time you know, going about, keeping the peace. So they were very familiar with, the, with how a Roman soldier was equipped. And you see the shield and the breastplate and the helmet and on his feet, they had shoes that had cleats on them so they could hold their ground in a fight. Uh, so this is the armor that uh, Paul's going to be talking about. This is the metaphor that he's using and the sword, of course. And so the first one that he says is, gird your loins with truth. We have the truth, right? We are prepared for the schemes of the devil because we know the truth. And the clearest example of what the truth is, of course, is the gospel. 
One of the things in spiritual warfare is you're going to be accused all the time. Uh, over the years, I've had several people say, you know, you make a mistake or you do something they don't like, and the, their response is, and you call yourself a Christian. <laughs> if you're a Christian, I don't want to be one. <laughs> you know, the accuser, <laughs> right? Know the truth that you're not perfect, but you're forgiven because of what Christ has done. And so they can't, they can't defeat you that way. You know the truth. You're prepared for what's happening, for what's going to happen. Even in a storm, you know the truth that God's with you. So you have that weapon, the truth that God's given you. Secondly, the breastplate of righteousness, which is, I think, uh, a clear conscience. We, we have been imputed with the righteousness of God. As Paul said, I have no righteousness to my own, but I have been given the righteousness of Christ. So in God's eyes, I can have confidence that in God's eyes, I'm righteous. I'm forgiven. God says, you're with me. Right? So nobody can say that you can lose your salvation or that you don't deserve it, or that you're, you know, whatever. So you have the breastplate of righteousness, which is a clear conscience that your sins are washed away. Thirdly, he says, shod your feet uh, with the gospel of peace. So those shoes that he had, they had the cleats, put on those kind of shoes that you can hold your ground, you know, against the enemy. Uh, and to do that, you have the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. That's yours. We stand and live in the confidence of God's love for us, that Christ, his son, died for us, right? So we have that confidence that God loves us and is with us. Fourthly, uh, the shield of faith. We've been given the shield of faith, and so no matter what comes our way, uh, we can defend ourselves uh, with the faith that we have in Christ. And one of the things he talks about uh, in Ephesians uh, is that we can guard against the flaming arrows. Isn't that a great image? Uh, the world, in a, in a metaphorical way, is constantly firing arrows at us. It's not just me, is it? Do you have a target on me? No, all of us. See? But we have a shield. The shield of faith that God is with us and will defend us. We have that basic trust and that those flaming missiles that are coming our way, we can fend them off. Uh, number five, we have the helmet of salvation. So the soldier had this helmet that protected the guy's head. Right? And in our head, what do we have? We have our thoughts, our hopes. We have looking forward to the good news that Christ is coming back and that we're going to be resurrected and live with Him eternally in the kingdom of God. Right? So that's in our mind and we are protected by that, that great hope of, of our salvation that Christ is going to give us in the future. And in 6... The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
And this is a different word than we got before uh, the truth. Um, the word here is rima, which is the entire word of God. It's the word that Jesus has given us in the New Testament. So we have specific passages that we can use against any situation that we run into. Something bad happens, we can't figure out any good can come of it. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. Right? And you can go to any passage depending on the topic that you're involved in. And the Bible can build you up with those passages. Uh, so you have the Word of God. Remember when Jesus was tempted? What did he do? How, when he was tempted, what did he use as a defense? The Word of God. The Word of God against Satan. And it worked. Alright? So in the, you know, just uh, applications, you know, what do you do uh, when the flaming arrows come and the temptations come? Uh, the Bible says, flee temptation, resist the devil, put on God's defenses instead. So every time we resist temptation, we honor God. Every time we overcome problems by trusting God, He is glorified. And when we choose character over convenience and honesty over deceit, we make God happy. And when we serve Him well, God is glorified. We're winning the war. Right? One last quote from Martin Luther. Uh, he had a tremendous conversion story, as, if you know him. Um, and he said, Martin Luther wrote that when the devil came knocking on the door of his heart, he would send the Lord Jesus Christ to the door and Christ would say, Martin Luther used to live here, but he's moved out. I live here now. Amen? Amen? Let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for blessing us with your word. Thank you for blessing us with these weapons that you've given us in our struggle through life. And we thank you most of all for our Savior, Jesus Christ, and in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank wow.